Welcome to Why Wonders Why, a companion podcast to smart enough to know better. This episode is titled Meta Padakan. A couple of weeks ago, we were approached by Wendy and Kevin from Metapod. Now, Metapod unpacks the web's most interesting podcasts and the stories behind them. And they've talked to such interesting people as Tara Boyle, the executive producer of Hidden Brain, and Willa Paskin from Dakota Ring. And they thought we were interesting enough to talk to. Dan and I were very honored to get to, be able to talk to them and the episode came out on their podcast last week but we've decided to put it up here for our listeners as well and i'd like to say that metapod doesn't just review podcasts but actually talks to the creators themselves and that's what makes it interesting and i hope you enjoy this episode dan and greg welcome to metapod great to have you on the show it's good to be here thank you guys for inviting us I'm glad we could figure out all the time zones involved. I just it, it turns out everyone's available most of Saturday and has and have been every Saturday for the last 15 months funnily enough. <laughs> yes, it's been it's been a podcast bonanza. You get onto someone and say, "Are you going to be available?" and they're like, "Yes, I am available. We're, the whole world's available. I'm available, you're available. Everyone's available. Stop asking this question. Where else was I going to be except in my room in my house at this time?" Thank you very much. I- So you've been referred to by Wired Magazine as a deranged duo, and your first episode was back in 2010, from what I can tell. So apparently you've been deranged duetting for quite a while now. Why did you start Smart Enough to Know Better, and have you both become more deranged over time? (laughs) Well, we both got onto the podcast train very early. Like, we liked listening to them. I started listening Mm -hmm. to a podcast called Geeks On, and I may have gotten Greg Mm -hmm. onto it. Um, And this is is long before most of all the big names started up. And I loved it so much, I was like, oh, well, I I have to start a podcast now. That sounds like a brilliant fun, and no one's going to have that idea. Turns out (laughs) everyone had that idea. Uh, But I started doing a podcast called And Time, where I would get uh, performers from my local impro troupe, and we would just discuss impro and the shows that we were doing. And it had a very, very select audience. Uh, I think it would get about 35 downloads per episode. Um, But it gave me like a couple of years of practice of getting audio quality up and learning how to create a show and understanding how much work it is to make a show. Uh, And so then... Greg and I uh, were at the same party mm. and we ended up having an argument. But do you mm. remember what the argument was about, Greg? I, I really don't at this time. It's gone so much into legend. I'm not terribly sure. It's it's going to be something space related or dinosaur related. And I don't remember which one is, it would be. It's kind of dinosaur related. Ooh. It was about a type of goose from the north of Canada that also lived on the north of Russia and there were a whole bunch of different populations and every population could procreate with the population next to it. But the population of geese in Canada couldn't procreate with the geese from Russia. And Mm. so, and I was explaining how the evolution was taking place across distance rather than across time. And Mm. there was a a lot of miscommunication about that. We had (laughs) had something to drink though. Yes. Yes. And Dan and so I have known each other for a very long time before this, of course. And so we were we were well into our arguing phase of the relationship. You know, you know when, <laughs> when the honeymoon period is over and, and you just find those little things, you still love them very much, but that little thing they do where they, they click their teeth and it really gets very upsetting and annoying. And then and you don't want to say anything about it because that makes you a bad person, but it really just grinds your soul down. That's where we and the little that thing point. that Greg was doing was being bad at science. Oh, just so mean. <laughs> Now, Greg was getting quite heated and I was getting quite heated, but everyone else in the room was having an absolute corker of a time. <laughs> and so uh, we were we started throwing around the idea of doing a podcast and then I made the website and told Greg that he was doing it. He was like, oh, I, I guess guess I better make myself available to record that then. I'll only do a couple though. Be a couple. We'll just see how it goes. Ten years later... Here we are talking about the podcast. How has the how has the dynamic between the pair of you changed? Because uh, something I said to Wendy uh, before we started recording, 
was that, you know, clearly the dynamic is great. You bounce off each other really, really well. But I, I imagine it doesn't start as naturally as that. So how has the, you know, how has your relationship on air kind of evolved over the 10 or so years? I think we've become a lot more forgiving with each other. And we trust each other a lot more. I, my take on it to begin with, we were quite adversarial. Our first podcasts are kind of Dan versus Greg, Greg versus Dan. Okay. Where, and, and then they turned over time into Greg and Dan versus everyone else, as it should be. And so, so we, um, and that's my feel on it. That, that's sort of how it's sort of gone. And we just, we learned to work out what we were strong at, what we were weak at. There are some things Dan does much better than I do. There's some things that I feel I do better than Dan. And we've learned to trust when someone says, no, 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 go with me on this strange thing you're about to do. You just go, okay, cool. I, I trust you now to do that thing. And it's very rarely that one of us has to say, oh, no, that didn't work. Once they've explained it to you or it's come at you, oh, that was actually really cool. That was really different. I wasn't comfortable during it. It was an uncomfortable procedure. But in the end, I see the medical necessity of it. Okay. So an obvious thing to ask then is, Greg, can you tell us what Dan's strengths and weaknesses are and then vice versa? Ooh, okay. I think Dan has a wonderful and irritating uh, view of facts. So, um, <laughs> I, so uh, he he really likes to get into the nitty gritty of it, and he gets right down in the weeds of it in a in a way like a. I'm more of a macro view person, and Dan gets right in there and like gets right down there and has a look at the at the, the, the the all the cogs and the bits, and then extrapolates them there. That's sort of his strength. That's that's my take on Dan's strength. And, and writing we- things down, I don't write things down. Is that a weakness? Is that a weakness as well? No, well, I, Dan's weakness. Dan's weakness. He doesn't listen to me enough. I think that's a bit of a weakness. <laughs> uh, but, but I think Dan's weakness. Yeah, but is, do I have a weakness, Greg? Does it? Well, oh, he's looking at me. He's giving me the eye. No, does I just Dan didn't, have, I didn't hear what you just said. That's we. <laughs> I tuned out. <laughs> <laughs> very good all right then dan uh greg's strengths and weaknesses then greg's very respectable like he we've we've slowly drifted to this point where he has to play the, the grown-up more often and he has to pull me into line and i and i and i, and I love that happening because it means that i can be as naughty as i want and yeah. he can be like the moral core of the podcast and go <laughs> no what you're saying is wrong i go oh yeah it is wrong so we get to kind of get to have our cake and eat it too. Mm, mm. But Greg's real strength, because uh, uh, especially in live scenarios, because he can just talk and talk and talk. <laughs> Whereas when I'm, when I hit a spot where I'm like, oh, hang on, I, I just need to go completely silent for a moment and get my thoughts in order. Greg can just waffle, and it's it, there's no dead air. And that is a skill that that sounds like a double-edged compliment, but that is a mm. skill that I just I can't seem to get. I, I'm not sure how I feel about waffle. That's that's not an adjective <laughs> I would have used. I would say elucidate oh, I, on a point forever, maybe. Uh, but but waffle I have is a bit to edit strong. It. And there we go. <laughs> okay, right. So, um, how many of the topics that you've covered? And I know you know there's a hundred and nearly two hundred episodes, right? Oh. But just off the top of your head, how many topics have you covered that have actually evolved quite a lot over the time that you've been producing the podcast? For me, we started in the past with me talking about I'm, I'm space sort of background. So mm-hmm. understanding things like the heliopause and all that sort of good stuff. Because we, we had no idea. Dan and I were like running in circles with that for a long time. So how that's <laughs> all changed and how so that sort of, yeah, that's been a big one for me. It's quite early, though, I must admit. Dan, what's your feeling on it? About three or four years in, uh, one of us brought in this article about how about 50% of science turns out to be in some way wrong about 10 years in the future. So we're pretty much up to the point where half You've got the a lot podcast of updates coming. Yes, just wrong. We do. Uh, yeah, we constantly, we have the walk of shame on ours. We get listeners to get in contact with us and, and actually tell us, you know, where we're wrong. So some things happen like that. Some things change. And sometimes we do get emails from, hey, this is incorrect. And you go, when were you listening to that? Was, oh, you mean eight years ago? Well, that's, you know, fair enough. We'll we'll accept that. Oh, I know. No, I know one. I just suddenly clicked. I just realized, see, I just started the sentence three times. For long enough and yes. suddenly you get to the goal. Boom. Dan Dan loves dinosaurs. Dan's a dinosaur guy. I bring the space. Dan brings the dinosaur. And Dan's always loved big, scary Jurassic Park-like dinosaurs. And over the 10 years of this podcast, I think paleontology has gone out of its way to point out that actually dinosaurs are fluffy, happy, feathery 
wonderful uh, multicolored creatures and uh, they basically they look like they should be in showgirl tunes they, they t- stop being the monstrous beasts clever girl kind of thing and and just and every time now our listeners get in contact and tell dan how much his monster beasts are now just fluffy wonderful feathery wonder beasts and it's yeah it's, it turns out if you want audience feedback just say how much you hate something and they will go out of their way to fill your <laughs> inbox with every single story about feathery dinosaurs. Changed quite a bit. That brings me to a question. Um, you know, you've developed a relationship with your audience that's, um, I suppose you could, Greg just said it a few minutes ago, it's Greg and Dan versus everyone. <laughs> they can't get enough that they actually pay to be abused on your show. How this have you is... developed this? Yeah, I don't think the word developed really uh, illuminates what happened there. Okay. I made, or no, Greg made a throwaway comment because we're like, there's no way anyone wants to pay that much per episode to our patron. It's like, oh, here's a ridiculous thing. A, a throwaway joke, Dan will abuse you. Now, every single episode, I've got to spend time coming up with all sorts of new insults for these people. It sounds it's, like it's, hard work. It's super weird because from very early on, we realized like the biggest change that happens in our podcast is initially we were doing, we were making a lot of fun of ignorance and we were mm. making fun of um, of uh, magic gems and magic bracelets and stuff that wasn't sciencey. And we've become a lot more enthusiastic and mm-hmm. kind about the way that we're approaching our stories now. And so now most podcasts are about us trying to find, like treating each other very kindly, treating the audience even more kindly mm-hmm. um, and just having a kind outlook on everything. And then for the last two minutes, it's like, oh, this idiot doing this. <laughs> oh, this person it's very, sets the it's really orphans weird. on fire. It is a very odd <laughs> tail end to the podcast now when when we did start there was quite a few skeptic podcasts and we were kind of one of them and we and as dan just said we weren't we realized we weren't that interested in beating people up who already had one hand tied behind their back it just seemed (laughs) what was the point and you're not going to change anyone's mind and we weren't we had nothing to prove we didn't want everyone to love us because we hated someone that just seemed really weird to us so uh I mean, I still am not particularly excited by magical thinking and all that sort of stuff, but I don't feel the urge to beat people up on air or to create a platform and then yell at people. It just seems stupid to me. It's such an echo chamber that you see these YouTubers who are like, oh, this flat earther, he's looking in the measurements and stuff. And you're always just preaching to the choir. Whereas if, if we can get our enthusiasm for just science stuff into the ears of people who may be on the fence in one way mm-hmm. or the other, so that they start having that warm reaction and that positive reaction to science, then they're going to have a more positive reaction to all the science in their life. And I feel like that's doing a much better service for humanity. Your, your <laughs> walk of shame segment, um, I really like a lot. And I'm wondering if you ever have a situation where you need to fact check the fact checkers. And, and some of these are really like lessons in and of themselves. Um, how, how are you going through some of those? I check every single one because the, the, the worst thing that could ever happen <laughs> is, for, is for me to get on and, and go, Oh, well, this person said that you were wrong, Greg, only to have, find out that, oh, no, 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 he was right, and you should have checked your work to him. Mm-hmm. I check those things more thoroughly than anything else. Okay. And same here. It's important because it also leads to a conversation. So sometimes you listen yeah. to the podcast, I would have said something, let's say, and I contact Dan and say that's wrong. So Dan will then say, this is what this person says, but his, and sometimes they'll be, that's absolutely correct great, thank you, and we, we correct it. Or sometimes say, oh, that's kind of correct, and this is what it really is. And sometimes we go, well, that's actually wrong, and Greg was correct about that, or Dan was correct about that. So we once again, we don't make it an attack on the person because they've taken time to write in and, or tweet at us or whatever. We, um, we, we do want to get to the actual core of what the real story is, whatever that is. And, and what also, are the, the most- message of science is uh, when someone shows you more proof, then that becomes mm. part of the body of knowledge. And you, if you're sitting there going, oh, I don't want to deal with that because it's going to make me look stupid. Right. That's not how science works. That's how every, everything else works, but it's not how <laughs> science works. Are there any particularly popular or I guess you could say unpopular topics that tend to 
light people up. We, mm. our listeners, don't get in contact with us when they want to yell at us about something. I've noticed we don't get a lot of negative feedback, which is surprising looking at our body of work. So, <laughs> but. Uh, we get a lot of positive stuff. People saying they like this, they like that much more than we ever get saying they dislike this. I We've had a couple of emails, a couple of communications where people weren't ha- didn't think we'd gone deep enough or thought we had a skewed view on something. Mm-hmm. But, but really, I, we're lucky enough that people haven't gone out of their way to yell at us at this time. Uh, I don't know why, but yeah, we're just, we are just lucky. I would like to to go back a little bit, though, and say that I know there's a point where we've made an actual impact on someone's life by being kind as possible and being interesting. There was a, I won't say who it is because <laughs> they listen to the podcast a lot, but they lived in a very religious region of the world and they were wondering if that was what they wanted to follow. And they had to follow that, that um, religion. And they found our podcast. I don't know how, and they listened to it and they, they've written to us many, many times now to say that they, they love listening to our podcast because it's like a way out of their local physical community. And they, they can actually find, oh, there are other people like them, but, but we're not yelling at them. You're stupid for having this strange belief about something. And I was really pleased by that. And over the years, we've actually developed a relationship with this person. I never met them, don't know them from, from anyone else, but. But I feel like I do. I feel like we're pen pals now, which that's really nice. There's nothing like looking at someone's either their LinkedIn page or their biography and then asking them to explain themselves or go deeper onto something that they've written. So uh, we'll start Uh-oh. with you. <laughs> uh, we'll start with you, Greg. On your bio, it says, I strongly believe the future of our civilization lies in the wedding of rational thinking and creativity. Mm-hmm. So uh, the question is, are you hopeful about that? Absolutely. Every day. No, every day. Uh, I, I have bad times. I, I do suffer from a bit of a bit of the grumps, a bit of the Eeyores, a bit of the a depression and all that sort of stuff. And that's that's true. But no, I am. I, I love I'm a science communicator at heart. I do it for a living. I, I go out and tell people and everyone. I think we get these echo chambers of negativity on Twitter and Facebook and all the rest, but I get to see what the clever people are doing, what average people think about that. Absolutely. Do I think that humans are doing amazing things? I mean, just yesterday from recording with right now, China just landed a Rover on Mars. How did we not just- know about this? No, I did know about it. No, I didn't. (laughs) I knew about it. Why didn't you know about it? Tell me about this. I probably did, Dan. You just don't listen. We're recording this on Saturday the 15th of May. We don't actually know when we're going to put this out. So there's a little timestamp for people to sure. refer to. So, Dan, one for you then. You say, I find elitism to be ever so slightly more upsetting than hypocrisy. The question is then, is there elitism in the scientific community? There's going to be elitism everywhere, I think. Um, it's it's human nature to want to um, to want to big yourself up. Uh, it's a it's a it's such a it's such a crucial part of the way that we interact because how do you get the best mates and access to the good food and all that sort of stuff like there's lots of stuff that we've learned but this stuff's deep-seated and i think that a lot of scientists probably do fall down this hole especially the ones who are like ah my job is to find truth in the universe and uh and look sure yes that's true but um i think the thing that always keeps me quite grounded is that we evolved to sort of run around on a savannah and so <laughs> our our language is emotive and we're, we've sort of hotwired it to make maths and the scientific method but that's something we have to layer on top of the the initial set of uh, stuff just because you know the truth and the maths and the facts i mean half those facts are going to be wrong in 10 years Mm-hmm. So, you know, don't, you're, not, you're not so clever, Mr. Well, scientist. Can I, can I give you, can I expand on that? Sorry, no, Dan's question. The, the, um, if you look at different generations of scientists in the past, because scientists have to work for money. There's, there's tiny amounts of money and there's so much research to get done and your whole career can be based on whether you can get funding, basically. So you've got to have papers all the time and it's been really, really hard. So I, I try and cut the older scientists some slack in that way because they, you, you're born into a horrible environment of having to eat and drink and sleep and therefore you have to do your science but newer generations have access to twitter they've access to facebook that no one it's it's, a boomer book no one uses that who's young uh things like tiktok and so all these new scientists amazing new scientists up and coming are now using this um, decentralized way of getting the information out there and it's so amazing uh that so they don't yes they still have the research but also they can just go talk about their science which is just going to open it up and get rid of some of the elitism 
So uh, rather annoyingly or perhaps impressively, you've answered what was going to be my next question, which was how is the communication of science changing? I, I guess, you know, your references to social media have um, kind of mm -hmm. uh, answered that. But I suppose another way of uh, thinking about that, you know, with two teenage kids here, and I just wonder, and I've read uh, recently that there is, you know, this generation that's going to be entering the workforce and, you know, hitting their late teens and 20s. And the argument is, is that they have instant access to information and they're also short on patience, or at least my <laughs> two are. Is that a problem for science in the future? Because there may be a, a requirement for things to just be either explained quicker, proven quicker. In other words, will the speed of science increase as a result of this new generation of impatient, instant information hungry people coming along? This has been argued for such a long time, thousands of years ago. I'm going to say Aristotle, this may go on our walk of shame, <laughs> was complaining about all, like, oh, we're writing things down in books now. We're no longer doing oratory. We're no longer just telling stories that go for four hours. These young people have it all so easy. It's all written down. It'll be so fast and they'll just, they'll, they'll destroy their minds. And we're, we're doing the same. We did it with television. We did it with computers. Now we're doing it with, oh, they'll only, they'll TikTok themselves into an early grave. I think it's fine. I think we're just old. And the older we get, the more confusing and weird everything becomes. And we should just <laughs> let the young people get on and be amazing. Just get out of their way. They're amazing. Get out of their way and let them solve all our problems, which we unfortunately ruined everything. But no, I mean, like to point out, the generation before us ruined it for us and they ruined it for them. It's, it's the cycle. And your children will ruin it for their children. It's just what we do. Humans like to wreck stuff. Yeah. I don't have much patience for ballet, but I got patience for the things that I like. People will, will, will sit for ages if they're engaged with it. They don't need, there's not some sort of problem with their brain that they can't just look at one thing for ages. Look at Twitch. People sit there for four hours watching someone else play a video game. People, <laughs> kids have got patience. So you have a segment in your show called Your Week in Science, where you discuss something in the news or maybe in your personal life related to science. So I thought maybe we could talk about the... Uh, Mars rover landing and just get your thoughts on that since it happened last night. I've only just found out about this. Okay. I am very excited. I am very, very excited. I mean, the Perseverance, the, the, the NASA rover landed a while ago, not that far ago, a couple of weeks, months ago now. And of course, the Ingenuity, the helicopter is doing its little thing, flying over the planet's surface, doing a five of its runs so far. This The Chinese ship went into, went into orbit a while ago. They've been sitting up there for quite a bit and working out, making sure that everything's fine. It's really, really hard. I mean, you, not many people get to Mars without crashing into it or flying straight past. It's, it's a, it is not a trivial problem just to get into orbit. And now they put a rover on, on the planet. I think it's amazing. I think uh, I am a human being first. Well, actually, I'm not even that, but I, I like to pretend I'm a human being first and, uh, and, and I don't really care who gets it, whether it's America or China or whatever. I think it's important that we just keep pushing forwards. During the space race in the 50s and 60s, there was always this sort of this narrative of it's Russia against the US, US against Russia. But all of the scientists on the two space programs were secretly sharing information with each other because when it comes down to they're it... They're all Nazis. They're all just Nazis. No, sorry. That's not, that's not true. That's not true. true. There, were a lot of, there were a lot of Nazis in the, in the space program, though. I'm just going to point that out. Post-World War oh. II, like, you know, 90% of the Nazis went to... Like the Americans got in and grabbed most of the good, na good, good Nazis. The good, good science. No, the, the good, good science Nazis. Nazis. The good science Nazis, and the Russians got the rest over Nazis, and then they really got into the. Look, we don't like to talk about it, but mm, yeah, yeah. It's, no, no, we should. We the, probably should. Once should you leave the planet, you you become an Earthling. That's what's important. <laughs> May I ask, the subject of COVID, which is so based on science and understanding what's been going on, I mean, how have you approached that particular topic? Sorry to bring the mood down just a little bit, but I think it's quite an interesting thing. How have you approached it? Because I would imagine some people would like to listen to a podcast to escape from what's been going on from the last 15 months, but it is the omnipresent scientific issue of the, the last couple of years. So how have you tackled that? We were very mindful about that because we do want to be a place of joy and uh, and yep. excitement about science. Uh, we did one episode where we, we talked about COVID a lot and then we made, we made a very conscious decision that we weren't going to talk about that mm -hmm. unless maybe it drops in here and there, but we weren't doing any stories about that. 
It, it was all about being a place where people could sort of get away from that idea for a while. Same thing when uh, when there was some uh, a weird political change in the US about mm. four and a half years ago. We, we were like, well, that's, that's <laughs> nothing to do with us. So let's be a place where people can come to talk about really fun stuff. We'd much rather mock a nation, not for its political leaders, but the fact they still use Fahrenheit. What's the deal, America? Fahrenheit. Well done, ridiculous oh no we're not part of the empire we kicked king george out years ago still going to use imperial temperature measurements well done on that one anyway that's my bugbear measurements are all arbitrary i I think you'll find lord kelvin and his temperature scale have have something to say about that but that's fine (laughs) are there any subjects that um are just frankly taboo for you not taboo uh not personally taboo but there are some subjects uh, that I've been a lot more careful with. And then to make sure it's not just two white dudes talking about something, I try and find someone with lived experience. For example, trans issues. I'm very interested in that sort of stuff. And so I I wasn't going to go, here's what I learned on Wikipedia about trans issues. Because, you know, that's that's straight, uh, a fast train to cancel town. And so I went and found people who were happy to talk on the podcast about being a trans person in the modern world and let them talk and let them people talk about stuff. Uh, And that's, that's an area. So if I think it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable or odd or out of the realms of normality, whatever that is, then I'll go try and find someone who can talk about it knowledgeably. And if listeners don't like that, that's okay. There'll be another podcast down the track in like two weeks time. So yeah. That's, Whereas that's- I lean into my taboos. Like that's, that's <laughs> half of where I get my content. I'm like, oh, this would, this would be hard to get across. How can I do this in sort of a playful way that avoids it being a big, scary topic and it becomes sort of me being a bit dumb and Greg being a bit of a dad and us <laughs> looking at the stuff that turns out not to be too political. Yep. Mm. Um, I guess that stuff that we do avoid is the political stuff because mm. the politics of things is not the exciting thing about science. We'll move on to some fun questions now, if we can play with this. I was wondering, in reference to the reminiscence bump, which you referred to in episode 172, related to music mm. Mm. from your youth, mm. I'd like you both to name a band from your youth that you're nostalgic about. They might be giants. They okay. that those guys sing real nasal, and that's me. And that's me saying it. Musically, they they're not traditional singers, and I've started listening to a lot more uh, music that's uh, sort of clear and technically proficient. But they're they're so clever and interesting that uh, it it always brings me joy to go back and listen to some of their really experimental stuff. Okay, great. They're big on science too, aren't they? They had that. Yeah, they had Here Comes Science, a whole album called Here Comes whole Science. Album for kids. I, I've actually used in a grade nine science class. The kids weren't that excited. I was very excited that the kids, <laughs> they weren't that excited. For me, uh, I'm not a big music person, never have been. I, I find music, I like music because I sound like a serial killer if I say I don't like music, but um, I, I find music is something that happens, not something that I focus on, which is a, a brain thing for me, I think. And when I, actually recently I, I, was, I heard a band I hadn't heard and went, oh my goodness, and it brought all these fun memories back uh, when I sort of hung out with goths. Uh, I, I, I guess I was goth, but I think goths probably wouldn't have found me very gothy, but I, I wore a lot of black and makeup and things, so it's sort of fun. And so for me, Sisters of Mercy is one of those nostalgic bands. Uh, this Corrosion, that's what I heard. I heard uh, that this Corrosion. And when I realized not only was I listening to this song and remembering all these, these 20-year-old memories, I realized I could sing the whole thing. This memory, I'd unpacked this little hard drive from my brain and it went up, you know, booting up now. And it boots up this old <laughs> memory and I could just bring it all up and I could just sing all of this Corrosion. And I felt very goth. You wouldn't believe how disappointed Wendy and I are that you haven't come along today dressed as in your old goth gear. <laughs> Look, I, can, I, I have a jacket in my wardrobe I can go get if you like. But, Greg, uh, yeah, next weekend is to... World Goth Day. I will just <gasps> inform you. Well, the, the, yeah, but your hair though. would need to be black, Greg. That's true. It, it has no. gone a little bit, a little bit peppery. <laughs> Silver Fox. Silver oh, Fox. thank you very much. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. What famous scientist, uh, we'll start with you, Dan, if we can. So what famous scientist or inventor would you most like to have been and why? Would like to have been? Mm. Oh, that's, I mean, I, I I don't think it's safe for me to have any of the power that any of those guys have. <laughs> like 
anyone involved in the Manhattan Project, I should not be let in that room. I will trip over a cable and blow something up. Well, that's is that because they're all they're former Nazis, though, isn't it? Oh, that's true. That's true. Uh, although I don't let me hang around no, them either. I'm very. We're not saying smart enough to know better is definitely not saying that all scientists are Nazis, and we're definitely not saying all scientists back then were Nazis. I'm just saying there were a lot of Nazis in the rocket program. That's all I'm saying. Uh, thank you. Thank you for the, the clarification I mean, again. Right. I'd love to be involved in like the beginning of computing. Computers just changed everything, and Turing is amazing and Babbage. Uh, and Lovelace, like astounding. Mm. These are astounding minds that changed the entire world as we know it. That, that would be really interesting to be around there, where computers were like dials and rods and big lamps that went bzzz. Greg? For me, I have always had a soft spot for Tycho Bray. He was a Danish astronomer, and he was pre- telescopes so he was sort of before galileo 1609 he just squint right yeah that's what basically he did and he was a rich dude he was a rich danish guy and he uh, his father had actually saved the the king of denmark from falling in an icy river and dying so taiko was born born into privilege <laughs> like he was his father was like we have all the money and then he was born and he was like hey even more money and he went you know what i'm gonna do i'm going to cut holes in my roof and I'm going to lie on a couch and I'm going to look at the night sky. And when, when dots, those little dots and stars and planets go past those, those holes in my roof, I'm going to write down the time. So he had this for 40 years. He had all this data of, of, um, of where, what was where. And, he, and because of that data, this unbelievably precise astronomical data, people like Kepler could start making their three laws. And basically it led to modern science. He also was a dude who went, I'm not going to marry a rich girl. I'm going to marry a peasant girl. Gasp, shock. And so he married a peasant girl not not a commoner i should say which is all very you know i know people talk about it now with with what's her name megan and all the rest i can't remember the british royal family but they're like oh he married a commoner like taika brahe was doing a long time ago calm down and then he was such a a lusty fellow he wasn't kind of like a boring scientist he right. got into fights and he uh, when he was 20 he got into a fight with the cousin about astrology basically because astronomers and astrologers were the same thing back then and and his cousin went you suck at astrology and Tycho was like i will have your i will i will have you and so they had a broadsword duel and they and Tycho lost it and he lost it by having his nose cut off and so it nose got removed from, it, from his face and so for the rest of his life he had a like a bronze nose for every day and if you were important he had a silver nose that glued on and if you're royalty he had a gold nose that he'd put on and we didn't know if this was real but they found they dug up his body kind of recently and they discovered his noses inside his cow coffin which is pretty cool so yeah I'd be Tycho Brahe because it sounded like he had a he wasn't like a boring scientist he was a rich dude who's kind of doing science and getting on with the ladies and he was like fighting people with swords he was having a grand old time and then in the end he he um he died because he well they say because he ate too much but really because he just got some sort of bladder infection which wasn't the best way to go but, because it was the know, past it the was the past something something horrible is going to get you look hey hey ladies and gentlemen something's going to get you now i mean hate to say it but you just don't talk about it you're off to the international space station for six months you may take <gasps> one science book, journal, or magazine, one record album, and one scientist with you. Name them. So I've got a science book. Yeah, yep. or magazine. Uh, probably boom with one exclamation point mm, mm, okay. mm, uh, because mm -hmm. you really want to know how to blow things up in mm, a in space. confined environment, <laughs> a confined oxygen-rich environment. Record album? Uh, the record album. Oh, well, you can choose your format: CD, LP. albums anymore? Would it? Would a record player actually work in a zero gravity thing? Because the needle's got off, a, it would just come off. The, the needle's got to hang. Yeah. The, need, the, the needle would sort of. You'd need to get an elastic band a around spring, the a needle. A spring would, would, yeah. If you had a little spring on it to, to give some tension to it, that would probably work. It would keep it on there without pulling it too much. Then you'd have an equivalent of one G. That'd be fine. But the problem right is because it's spinning and the whole, like if you, you'd have to, because it's spinning, it would actually change the velocity or the vector of the ship, right? <laughs> it would, Whoa. yes. A very little bit. Yeah. Like, there'd be a gyroscopic. But, but it's, you're talking about it. a very, very, very thin and light record. It's not like a, unless you're taking like a one ton record here or something weird like that. Like it's not, it's, it, that's where it's, that's where the inertia. Yeah. The answer is it wouldn't, not much. 
Not a lot. So, Over I mean, time, is it maybe. worth it to take They Might Be Giants with you or not? <laughs> no. Oh, sorry. I, th- I think what I'd do is I actually have an album, which is just three tracks of rainforest noise, and I reckon I'd go down and treat up there. Okay. Um, and, uh, and, and a scientist to go with me. Right. Someone to hang out with for six months. Who's the, who's the Canadian bloke? Just came back from there. You, don't, you mean um, Chris Hadfield? That's the one. Chris oh, Hadfield. No, no Dan, that's who I'm taking. You can't take Chris Hadfield. I'm taking oh. Chris Hadfield. Double I'd take D. Tom Scott then. Tom Scott is a YouTuber and he's like, and he just comes up with these amazing videos. And I reckon he and I would be like besties. Okay. Not very helpful in space, but if Chris Hadfield's going to be up there already, then yeah. That's well, well, we won't be. I'll I, be in one space station. You'll be in the other one. We might invite you over for tea occasionally. I'm not too sure. I've been. Chris a bit and I have a lot of talking to do. Because Chris is the like the, the old and busted, and there's a brand new guy up there, a French guy. I haven't got his name, but he's very popular in France. He's like the the new the new fun astronaut, and my wife has taken him to referring to him as her astronaut. Oh. And I'm 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 concerned. Would this be Thomas Pesqua? That's him. That's uh, him. I apologize if I butchered his name. I apologize. No, no, no. Oh, you he's, he's very, I'm, I'm looking at him. He's very attractive, Dan. You yes, should feel yes. very worried. I am very worried. And he's roughly your age too. And and he's very accomplished. Like he's an engineer and an astronaut. Does he like they might be giants? Look, he doesn't I, I need to. When you look like Dan's, that. Dan's wife could find out. Oh, I, well, well. <laughs> What's what's on your short list of items to take with you? So one well, science book or magazine, a record album, and a scientist. Yes. Um, well, we said Chris Hadfield. I'm definitely taking him. Dan can't have him, so that's definitely out of the way. Album wise, album wise. Uh, you said you said was- earlier, Greg, that you, uh, music is not your thing. So rather no. than record. Uh, a luxury item. What would you? A take? luxury item. I I must admit I well if we're in low Earth orbit if we're still in low Earth orbit then they can still transmit things to me so I would definitely just I think maybe iPads cheating maybe that's uh, that's yeah. the big book of everything that's that's cheating okay you you want like a physical object yeah. I'd take a genie's lamp yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's and a then cornucopia wish more wishes <laughs> you could ironically <laughs> take Dark Side of the Moon. Because <laughs> low Earth orbit's nowhere near that. No, no, everyone would just go. You just go pretend you don't understand the difference. Like, um, I, I, I guess a, a thing, a physical thing, like an electric the, the, toothbrush. That's a luxury well, item for. Yes, but I, I, yeah, I get. I, that's very. That is, that's very luxurious. You're you're living the life there, Kevin. Um, that's. Uh, <laughs> you must have beautiful teeth. Uh, <laughs> You haven't seen um, me smile yet. <laughs> I, <laughs> I must. Oh, admit, that's a I bad would... sign then. We haven't been funny. Uh oh. Uh oh. I would. I would want. I know in a space station you have a lot of problems with being alone, and so I would want to create a, a level of uh, by myselfness by having one of those eye eye covers with ear covers as well that that, that give negative noise, so that it can basically. Uh, cancel out the noise cancelling headphones that's what i'm trying to think of that's the word i'm thinking of so that would basically make it quiet on there because you're going to constantly have the hum of the machines and everyone like farting and eating and doing other things astronauts do like, you're it's stuck nice in a and can. quiet just out the door though just pop out for a it's, bit it's very quiet <laughs> that's right in fact they say they can't hear you scream i've read on a poster somewhere i'm sure and you'll be screaming a lot okay oh. so some uh multiple choice questions if we can um, some of these are related to science. Some of them are just a little bit silly. But anyway, so um, and we'll do uh, we'll go alternate then. So Dan, how many bones are there in the human body? Are there two hundred and six or one hundred and ninety six? Two hundred and six. Well heaps. done. Uh, but but <laughs> babies have more. They mm. fuse. Mm-hmm. Babies are born with more bones, and as you get older, they fuse together. You end up with fewer bones in your body. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg. What is the study of mushrooms called? Is it shrology or mycology? Mycology, yes. Wow, you took My, good. Mycelium yeah, networks, etc. Greg, Greg used to eat mycoproteins for breakfast. Yes, yes. I, I I don't eat meat, so I had to get my. Uh, it's uh, mushrooms were my way of getting those sort of proteins. It's very exciting. So yes, I, I love the way they're mushrooms. like. We're doing multiple choice questions. We'll get through them faster. Nah. Sorry. <laughs> okay, back to you, Dan. I believe so. In episode 148, Smart Enough to Bug Motels, you talk about how many humans have been to space. So at the time of recording, was it 
573 or 563? I don't know. How am I supposed to know that? I you barely listen to about. Greg. I don't listen to myself. <laughs> Greg, do you I'll know pick the, the first one. The first one. Uh, the first one is correct. 573. Yeah. You both yes, sounded yes, yes. surprised about that when you were talking about it. Was that because you expected it to be more or fewer? Uh, fewer. I, I thought there'd be far fewer in space at that point. Yeah, and you realize... 500 people. Mm. What would that weigh? Yeah. Imagine how much that cost to get them up there. It'd be, it'd be like 25 elevators packed full of people. Actually, talking of the cost, I think you came up with a, 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 I don't know if it was you, Dan, you said it's per person per kilogram or something like that costs is it twenty thousand dollars or something like that can you remember it's somewhere in the in the ballpark of about ten thousand dollars per kilogram to send up humans and that's the big thing that that they're trying to bring the cost down that's why you have like returnable rockets and reusable rockets i should say to bring that cost down so it's you know it doesn't cost hundreds of thousands of millions just to take a human body into space because i was thinking like that's got to be the point where you can afford to send really nice foods up there like all the people on the spaceship should be eating like caviar and lobster and gold leaf through stuff because <laughs> when it comes down to it, the difference between a really expensive dish and a really cheap dish is negligible compared to the enormous cost of just transporting it up there. Like but gold, you get Dan. The, you gold can, is very dense. You don't want to have you, gold. Maybe they should be eating nothing but aerogel. It's just leaf. It's gold leaf. It's still dense, Dan. I just send them a real leaf, just a, a normal everyday tree leaf. That will be a lot. That'll have mass a lot less than a gold yeah. leaf. Look, all I'm saying is you can afford to buy the big New Yorker pizza instead of just the value, the tiny value meal pizza. If you're going to pay the delivery boy a hundred thousand dollars. So if any administrators from the ISS are listening to this, the one takeaway from this entire interview is send better food to the astronauts and the cosmonauts, right? They eat pretty well. They actually do eat. The idea of them eating sort of rubbishy food that from a from a, from a um, a tube, that's all done now. They actually do eat quite quite well nowadays. Uh, it's all packaged and sent up. Like they, uh, they send a capsule full of food that lasts for months and months and months. And they, yeah, I, astronauts are doing okay. They're, they're not going to starve. They may uh, suffocate. Do you know? Oh, sorry, we're going to go down an astronaut and food rabbit hole here. How do they do? They tend to lose much weight, or how much weight does an astronaut lose when they are, say, on the ice? Almost immediately, they lose all mm. of their weight. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> For fear that's, of sounding stupid, yes. So that's I, not I, true either, Dan. Of course, microgravity—they're not in zero gravity; they're in microgravity because they're they're in orbit around the planet. That doesn't technically mean that the the gravity is gone. It just means that they're falling around the planet. But so you know, it's, it's, we, we digress. We're going sideways here. But when uh, they when a... they return to Earth, what has happened to their the weight? If they don't exercise a lot for hours a day, they lose muscle mass very, very quickly. The human body is very good at going, I don't need this anymore. These these floppy things are the, are for my bum going downwards. They look great, but I don't need them anymore for holding myself up or for, you know. So I, I, um, I will just get rid of the muscle mass very, very quickly. So they have to exercise all the time. It's very, it's very important. But more terrifying than muscle mass is that your body goes, Oh, this this superstructure we have of, of these calcium carbonate things in our bodies—they're ludicrous. A lot of energy. Oh, a lot of, of energy. These bones. Let's just let's just get rid of those and pee them out. And so you start peeing lots of calcium out, like lots and lots of calcium, and your bones become all spongy and weird. And so when you come back to Earth, you're in deep trouble because you have basically you have the bones of a 70-year-old or a 90-year-old. You basically have to look after your bones and your body. You're going to turn into a big gelatinous mass. And no one that's not going to be great on the picture when you land and you're just like a, a carpet with attitude. All right. Well, I have much less complicated questions than about the space diet. Um <laughs> we just you so I'll say you get a choice of two things. You just shout out which one you feel like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. Who's this going Who through? do I want to murder more? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos. I want to get close to him. <laughs> He's Real a very close. powerful man, Dan. Don't oh, make I enemies would... with the richest man on the planet. I I have a very complicated answer to this. I <sighs> used to be in love with Elon Musk in a very big way. It was actually slightly embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is back before all the information came out, and and I and I re- I was just like he was he was dreamy. He was like this cool um, space guy. And I, yes, now everyone's listening, going, "Didn't you realize X, Y, and Z?" 
problematic stuff? Well, no, I didn't realize X, Y, and Z. No one did until the submarine incident. Well, oh, there was still, there was weird stuff about unions and well before that. But maybe, you know, when you're in a relationship and you just, and you're still happy together, but these little red flags go up and and that you just don't pick up on those red flags. That's what's happening with me and Elon. And, and I just kept ignoring the red flags. But in the end, like with the submarine stuff and, and naming horrible, names to people who are just trying to rescue kids and other things as well just and all the madness was dogecoin and, and I, I realized we had to break i had to make a clean break and so i broke up with elon musk and uh, and now we are separated uh and uh, <laughs> and so and i've gone on with my life and my new crush uh is lynn manuel miranda the person who wrote hamilton i think he is delightful and he hasn't yet broken my heart nor know i exist either way uh but um yeah so i went from elon's so i used to pick elon and i don't think of much of jeff bezos either so lin-manuel miranda can i can i go for a third one is that fine okay bitcoin or ethereum i do hate rainforests yeah <laughs> hmm, so it's i'm gonna have the- to go with bitcoin which is slightly better at destroying natural mm. habitats than okay. Elys- yeah lithium the amount of carbon in the atmosphere for, for because of cryptocurrency is absolutely insane. So anyway, Dan and I talked about it and I argued about this on a podcast kind of recently. Yeah, and yet, weirdly now we're very much on the same page. We have, yes. Things have changed. There you go, something has changed. Mm. All right, who will win the celebrity space race to make a film on the International Space Station, USA or Russia? USA. It's got t- Tom Cruise. Yeah, he'll get up there. Tom, Tom Cruise, Cruise does anything. He's because a, he's he nuts. He will just, I mean, let's face it. He's got contacts, you know, outside of earth, wink, wink, you know what I'm saying? And so he will just, he'll just, he'll just ask his, his, his friends to help him make it, you know, get the camera shots from outside the space station and that sort of stuff that no one else can get. It's going to be amazing. If Tom Cruise goes to mm. space to make a film, which of his films would he recreate? Cocktail or Risky Business are your choices. I oh. like I mean, you, you've got to call a space movie risky business. That's probably the best. Can you imagine yeah. him sliding in, floating in, da na 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 na, and he just floats into shot in his underwear? Yeah. It'd be amazing. Yeah, that, see, that shot's going to be better. Whereas you go to cocktail. What's the major shot that people remember from that film? Throwing up the cocktail shakers. It's never coming back down. They're never coming down. It's, it's the longest wipe out movie some ever. Electrical equipment. That's, and then then That's suddenly Tom Cruise is on fire. He's like he's covered in an alcohol, and then the electrics go off, and then he's on fire, and they realize that his skin is actually made from fire retardant asbestos like material, and that you can see the lizard skin. No, no, that's not. Sorry, I can't say anymore. I'm not allowed to say anymore. Hey. <laughs> Right, we're going to do, uh, just to wrap things up then, uh, we're going to do a quick word association round. Say the first word or sentence that comes into Uh-oh. your head. Oh, dear. <laughs> Dan, yeah. this is when we get cancelled forever. I've got Nazi scientists locked and I ready know. to go. I know. <laughs> oh, no. Is it, is it one or the other, or is it both of us at the same time? I just think. shout as loud as you can. Oh, that's, oh, don't say that either. Good Lord. <laughs> right, so uh, the aforementioned Elon Musk. Doge. Stoner. Okay. Jane Goodall. Ape. Yeah, I'd, I'd say chimps. Chimps. You should have said ape because then you'd be aping me. It's like this meta thing. Very good. Uh, Stephen Hawking. My hero. <laughs> you see, I, I hate the first word that jumped in my head because, of course, chair, which is the least interesting thing about Stephen Hawking. His talk box was much more interesting. The technology in that was incredible. Anti-vaxxers. Mistaken. Uh... Well, the thing is, I, yeah. I get where they're coming from. Because if you if you vaccinate your kid and there's like a one in a million chance, but then that kid falls sick and dies, then the, vac- the vaccination that you, you chose to give them is your fault. But if you don't vaccinate them and they get sick and die and there's a much bigger chance of it, then much, much bigger, yeah. you, you didn't do that you that that was god's will or that happened to them but it's not you weren't responsible for that so i get why one position is outweighs the other position in a in an emotional mind and that's what all of our minds are so i do have some sympathy for them 
but they are they are wrong and it would be great to have the opportunity to change those minds about those for those people it's one of the best technologies humans have ever created. The, the number of humans that wouldn't be here if it wasn't for vaccines is just, we don't even think about it anymore. This is the, this is the problem. Nowadays, you think you don't get to see people with polio wearing calipers and, and you just, so, so you just go, Oh, it's fine. We don't need to get polio. But then, then your kid ends up with calipers and you go, Oh, it's a problem. So uh, we're almost a victim of our, of our mm. medical success. We just don't get yeah. to see lesions we, on the body. I, I feel that if, if this disease, this, this COVID thing that's out there, if it had been more visceral, if you if, if it still killed the same number of people, three percent ish fatality rate, I do believe. And but if it was like bleeding from the eyes, and it was such a visual thing, instead of like coughing yourself to death and, and drowning on your own lung, like massive, which is blew terrific. the back of Gwyneth Paltrow's yes. head off. Yeah, that's right. Gone. Then I think and we'd have visuals and everyone would be like, and we'd all be a lot more terrified because we'd have bleeding eye pictures on the news every night. And so we would get vaccinated. It's the problem is it's not cinematic enough. We need a much more cinematic disease to, to convince people. We need better CGI. Well, Gwyneth Paltrow would be okay because she's got her uh, unique candles. Mm. I think that's the most, yeah. the most diplomatic way of putting them. <sighs> Don't take health advice from the first person to die in contagion. That's my advice. Uh, all right, last one. We are made of star stuff. What Sagan? We are made of star stuff. Oh no, it's Carl Sagan. Classic. Oh. <laughs> Sagan, not say again. <laughs> no, no, no. Sagan. Sorry, it's my it's my terrible Australian accent there. Sorry about that, love. In my horrible <laughs> American <laughs> one. It's untrue. It's untrue. I just found out about this. A whole bunch of stuff in the universe hasn't necessarily been inside a star. Where was it before then? It's just rock. It's just space stuff. But that's not quite as romantic, is it? I'm sorry for bringing it up. But all the hydrogen in your body would have had to have come from maybe the start of the universe. The universe, when it first came into existence, was mainly hydrogen, a little bit of 2% of roughly helium, a little bit of everything else. So all the hydrogen would be. So all the water in your body is pretty much lots and lots of... Uh, I, I don't have any helium in my body. I know that much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you so much for taking us through some very serious science, some mm. lighthearted mm. science and um, uh, many laughs. So thank you very much, Gregoire and Dan Beeston, for being our guests this week on Metapod. Really appreciate it. Thank you for we putting had... up for us. Yeah, we have had the best time. Thanks again to Kevin and Wendy for having us on Metapod. You should go and listen to Metapod. You can find it by opening up your favorite browsing device and typing in Metapod Podcast. Or just go to the show notes and we'll have a link in there. Thank you very much, everyone. Be excellent to each other. Party on and we'll talk again very soon. Or when I say party on, don't party on around other people. People are... Filthy disease vectors. Just pointing that out. Sorry to bring the mood down. Okay, thanks. Bye.